0: Mr. President, we have a national emergency. This is one of the things that we can shoot first and ask questions later. Normally, you can't do that. All of a sudden these trees started moving out of the way.
1: They parted for me. And then I came out into this opening and there where I saw Jesus Christ.
2: Dickett said the American people would never vote for socialism, but he said, under the name of liberalism, the American people will adopt every fragment of the socialist program. He is more imminent. more imminent, more imminent, James Madison, in 1788, speaking to the Virginia Convention, said, Since the general civilization of mankind, I believe there are more instances of the infringement of the freedom of the people by gradual and silent encroachment of those in power than by violent and sudden usurpations. Broadcasting live from a secret location buried deep below the earth, you're about to make a connection to the signs of the times. W. Dean Shook is live on the air right now. You're listening to End Time News. I'm your host, W. Dean Shook. Welcome to the new mainstream media. And let me say welcome to all of our listeners on the iHeartRadio Network, the Spreaker Radio Network, the Blog Talk Radio Network, our regular broadcast affiliates across this country and around the world. Welcome to the Truth in the News. I'm happy to be here with you today. We've got an exciting program because I'm going to introduce to you a little bit later in the program something that I'll bet most of you didn't even know about. That was the 2030 Agenda. You're saying, what is that? Well, you're saying that because nobody seems to want to cover this. I'm going to give you the scoop on this. This is Agenda 21 on steroids that's being introduced this coming September, and the Pope is flying in to kick it off. Hmm, Interesting, and we'll get to that a little bit later in the program. But first of all, we're going to talk about the economy because it seems that the establishment media doesn't really seem to want to talk about the economy. The new mainstream media is all abuzz with everything about the economy. I'm going to follow suit. But first, I've got something I have to report. According to Town Hall, Obama finally agrees to secure the border. About time, right? Well, for years, the security of the southern border, even the northern border of the United States, has not really been on the radar of the federal government. However, with the Obama administration, It's that they're complicit in bringing illegals into the country and not following immigration law. Well, take comfort in the fact that the Obama administration has finally decided to secure the border. But wait! It's not our border. It's the border of Turkey. President Obama finally understands that a sovereign country needs to have a secure border in order to protect its citizens. The problem is, it's not ours, it's Turkey's. Obama wants to, quote-unquote, stem the flow of foreign fighters. And that's an admission that securing the border does indeed help protect a country from terrorists. Well, Obama and Turkey's Prime Minister Tayyip Erdogan are best buddies. Erdogan is an Islamist who's a staunch ally of the Muslim Brotherhood and supporter of former Egyptian President Mohamed Morsi. Well, the Muslim Brotherhood is essentially the mothership of Sunni Islamic terror groups. Erdogan is also not a friend to Israel, given how he has condemned Israel's actions against Hamas, even though Israel was acting in self-defense, and has referred to the Israeli government as Nazis. What's particularly disturbing is that, despite their denials, Turkey is providing aid to ISIS. There's this report that Erdogan's daughter is working as a nurse to heal wounded ISIS soldiers. And last year, Turkey's foreign minister, Defended Isis from charges of terrorism yet We're helping this government as Judicial Watch reported back in April There's a plethora of evidence that points to the fact that the Islamic State is active near Juarez, Mexico Which is right on the border in fact Judicial Watch reports FBI Supervisory personnel met with Mexican army officers and Mexican federal police officers however The watchdog group also pointed out the FBI liaison officers regularly assigned to Mexico were not present at the meeting and conspicuously absent were the representatives from the Department of Homeland Security. Now, though the U.S. and Mexico deny the presence of Islamic jihadists in Mexico, the evidence abounds that they're there, including the rapid deployment of FBI brass in the aftermath of Judicial Watch's report. And a Mexican Army field grade officer and a Mexican federal police inspector were among the sources that confirmed to Judicial Watch that ISIS is operating a camp just a few miles from El Paso, Texas. Now we already know that this administration has aided and abetted Mexican drug cartels in illegally gun walking thousands of guns across the border which have been used to kill hundreds if not thousands of Mexicans and at least two federal agents brian terry and jamie zapata we also know this administration is the one that gave rise to the islamic state and has funded armed and trained them with taxpayer dollars these are america's enemies i don't know about you but where i come from we call that treason and i had to report that before we started on this economic news i've got about three stories here that I'm gonna report to you from credible sources about this coming economic collapse. Now I know that the establishment media is not touching this. They are saying everything is fine, that the economy is fine, that we're a growing economy, everything is just great. Well, that's not quite true and I I want you to listen to these stories. As reported by the economic collapse, 23 nations around the world where stock markets crash are already happening. You can stop waiting for a global financial crisis to happen. The truth is, it's happening right now. All over the world, stock markets are already crashing. Most of the stock markets are occurring in nations that are known as emerging markets. now in recent year, developing countries in Asia, South America, and Africa loaded up on lots of cheap loans that were denominated in US dollars. But now that the US dollar has been surging, Those borrowers are finding it takes much more of their own local currencies to service these loans, that is pay the interest on them. At the same time, prices are crashing for many of these commodities that those countries export. The exact same kind of double whammy caused the Latin American debt crisis in the 1980s and the Asian financial crisis in the 90s. Right now almost every single stock market in the world is down significantly from a record high that was set earlier this year and late 2014 but even though stocks have been sliding in the western world they haven't completely collapsed yet in much of the developing world it's a very different story emerging market currencies are crashing hard recessions are starting liquidity prices are getting absolutely hammered I'm gonna give you 23 of the economies that are collapsing collapsing right now. Malaysia, Brazil, Egypt, China, Indonesia, South Korea, Turkey, Chile, Colombia, Peru, Bulgaria, Greece, Poland, Siberia, Slovenia, Ukraine, Ghana, Kenya, Morocco, Nigeria, Singapore, Taiwan, and Thailand. And of course, this is just the beginning. The Western world is going to feel this kind of pain very soon. I want to share with you an excerpt from an article that just appeared in the telegraph that's entitled doomsday clock for global market crash strikes one minute to midnight as central banks lose control you see the telegraph is not just one of the most important newspapers in the UK it's truly one of the most important newspapers in the entire world when it speaks on financial matters millions of people listen very carefully so for the telegraph To declare that the countdown to a global crash is one minute to midnight, this is a very, very big deal. Here's what they said, and this is just a part of what they said. When the bank crisis crippled global markets seven years ago, central bankers stepped in as lenders of last resort. Private sector loans were moved onto public sector balance sheets, and vast money printing gave the global economy room to heal. Time is now rapidly running out. From China to Brazil, the central banks have lost control. And at the same time, the global economy is grinding to a halt. It's only a matter of time before stock markets collapse under the weight of their lofty expectations and record valuations. Well, others are sounding the alarm about an imminent global financial crisis as well. For example, just consider what Egon and Grez recently told King World News. They said, I fear this coming September, October... All hell's going to break loose in the economy and the markets. A lot of factors point to that, both fundamental and this indicates that we could have a number of shocks this autumn. Sadly, most investors will hold stocks, bonds, and property, and they'll see decline in value as an opportunity. It'll be a long time and a very big fall before they realize the system will not help them this time because the central bankers have ran out of ammunition to save the global financial system. Yes, one more time. So we'll see more massive money printing, but it'll just make things worse. And at some stage, which would be quite soon, real fear is going to set in, a fear of a magnitude the world has not experienced before. Well, the smart money's been pulling their money out of stocks for quite a while now. And at this point, a lot of others have hopped on the bandwagon. This comes from CNBC. Said the flight of investor money from US stock markets has turned into a stampede. In fact, the 78.7 billion leaving domestic equity funds have been worse in 2015 than it was during the financial crisis years when the s p 500 tumbled some 60 percent according to data released by morningstar the total is the highest since 1993 they say domestic equity funds surrendered 20.4 billion dollars in july alone and have seen 158.6 billion in redemptions over the last 12 months even a strong flow of money into passive management exchange traded funds has been unable to offset the stream to the exit among retail investors who generally focus on mutual funds than ETFs. So those that were claiming that a crash wouldn't happen in 15 are already wrong. It's already happening. Now, people who don't like these warning messages are going to feel pretty stupid when things start falling apart all around them and they finally realize how wrong they truly are i got a couple reports here that kind of combined together, it's from DC Clothesline and the End of the American Dream, it says, why does Russia media seem to be far more on the ball than the establishment alphabet media? Could it be possibly that Russian reporters have more freedom to talk about important issues than reporters that work for the major corporate conglomerates in the United States? Well, of course, the Russian media is far from perfect. They put out pro-Russian propaganda, just like the U.S. media puts out pro-American propaganda. But you have to admit that we can find Russian news sources who are willing to tackle controversial issues that the establishment media in the United States won't touch with a 10-foot pole. This includes the critical events that are coming up this September. I'm going to tell you about it right now because I'm not part of that establishment media. That's what makes us the new mainstream media. So even after everything has been said and written in the new mainstream media about what's going to happen during September, most Americans are still completely ignorant about the history of changing events that are going to take place in the next month or two. First of all, the most important template for global governments that the United Nations has ever dreamed up is going to be launched at a major conference from September 25th to September 27th. The launching of this new Universal Agenda is such an important event that the Pope is going to be traveling to New York City to give the address that will kick off this conference. The new plan is known as the 2030 Agenda and it's being called Agenda 21 on steroids. This is one of the most significant steps toward global governance in the history of the world. Yet, the establishment media in the United States is saying virtually nothing about this. Not a word. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to give you a nice introduction to this 2030 agenda. Now, even though articles and videos and programs like In Time News that discuss all of these things, the establishment media in the United States has been strangely silent about all of it. Fortunately, there are international news sources out there that are willing to address these topics, and some of them happen to be in Russia. Sputnik News is actually fully owned and operated by the government of Russia. Sputnik News is willing to address many things that the corporate-controlled media in the United States simply will not touch. For example, the following from a recent Sputnik article about the financial crash that's coming this fall. The founder of Trends Research, who predicted the panic of 2008, believes that soon we will witness the crash of a global stock market and predicts the economic earthquake that will send reverberations around the world. Well, RT is another Russian news outlet that I find to be superior to U.S. news organizations in a lot of ways. Well, in one recent article, RT was even willing to discuss the coming end of the biblical Shemitah in September of this year. Which, you know, really doesn't surprise me that much because a lot of people don't know it, but there are a lot of Christians in Russia, so to talk about the Shemitah is not really that unusual from RT. But indeed, the hysteria over the next month has reached such a fever pitch that even seasoned experts are cracking open their dusty Bibles for signposts. Well, the seventh year of the Biblical agricultural cycle, as set down in the Torah, just happens to fall on September 15, 2015. This is a real millennial event. With the so-called tetrad, or blood moons, four consecutive lunar eclipses all falling on Judaic religious days, for the people who track these kind of astrological occurrences a number of major events have occurred at the end of this seven-year business cycle as it's commonly known judaically it's called the shemitah in two thousand eight for example the world suffered its worst financial crisis in decades while in september of two thousand one the United States experienced the worst ever terror attack in its history, as well as a massive sell off of Wall Street markets when they reopened on September 17th. So, whatever the case may be, Americans, increasingly wary of the weak underbelly of their economy, are gearing up for fireworks in September. But even if nothing happens, all of the prepping and stockpiling, much like the run up to the overhyped Y2K non event, it will certainly boost economic performance across the board. You know, so there's nothing wrong with being prepared, even if nothing happens. But if you can believe it, even Pravada has talked about what's coming up this September. Now, Pravada was regarded to be an official voice of the evil empire. And whatever Pravada reported back in those days was generally thought to be pro-Soviet propaganda. And that was generally true at the time. But today, Pravada has a lot more freedom to discuss the issues that really matter than a lot of US outlets do. For instance, earlier this year, Pravada also discussed the potential for a financial apocalypse in September. They said again, in 2001 brought social conflict, financial calamity, as it was the pivot point that triggered a cascade of negative events that would go on for years, including the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. They went on to point out something that I think is very interesting. They said another seven-year period would elapse and bring us the September 29th, 2008. On this infamous day, stocks skidded, the Dow slumping 777 points, the biggest single-day point loss ever. Approximately $1.2 trillion in market value vanished in a twinkling. Now, notice this happened on September 29th. 2008, and the crash was 777 points. Now, some of you know what that may mean. And again, seven years to the month exactly from the 2001 crash. But apparently, no one noticed this pattern because the financial elites never mentioned it. So from September 29, 2008 to September 29, 2015 is seven years and the end of the Shmita year. And with all of this being said, I had to throw this one in there, and I'm going to be brief with this. There's a WND report that says Hamas has accepted terms of an eight-year truce with Israel. Out of Tel Aviv, Hamas, political leadership tentatively agrees to a term of eight-year truce with Israel, according to sources within Hamas. After discussing in Egypt, the Hamas delegation headed by Hamas leaders will travel to Qatar and Turkey, for more input on the deal which is being brokered by former Qatar envoy and ex-British Prime Minister Tony Blair. In response to the truce reports, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has released a statement to the media that said there are no meetings with Hamas, there are no direct contacts, no contacts through other countries, and no contacts through intermediaries. The statement, however, did not confirm or deny that truce proposals are in the works. So think about this. If it took them another year to work out the details of this eight-year peace agreement, would that work out to be a seven-year agreement with Israel? Think about that. All right, being reported by DC Clothesline, 46 million Americans go to food banks, and long lines for dwindling food supplies begins at 6.30 a.m., Those that run food banks all over America say that demand for their services just continues to explode. It always amazes me that there are still people out there that insist that an economic collapse is not happening. From their air-conditioned homes in their cushy suburban neighborhoods, they mock the idea that the U.S. economy is crumbling. But if you just go down and visit the local food banks in their areas, they'd see how much people are really hurting. According to Feeding America spokesman Ross Fraser, 46 million Americans got food from a food bank at least one time during 2014. And because the demand has become so overwhelming, some food banks are cutting back on the number of days they operate and the amount of food that's given to each family. Impoverished Americans are lined up at food banks as early as 6.30 in the morning, just so they can be sure to get something before the food runs out. Yet, there are still many people out there that have the audacity to say that everything is fine in America. Our economy is fine. Well, shame on them for ignoring the pain of millions upon millions of their fellow citizens who have to go to food banks to feed their families. And the same thing is happening in New Mexico. It's also happening in Ohio. Needy people are standing in line at the crack of dawn so they can be sure to get something before the food runs out. Lisa Hamler, Executive Director of the Ohio Association of Food Banks, who's been working in food charities since the 1980s, said that when earlier economic downturns ended, food demand declined. But not this time. And when the next major economic turndown happens, anger and frustration are going to flare to extremely dangerous levels. At this point, it's not going to take much to set things off. Desperate people do desperate things. Desperation is rising. Well, and as promised, if you don't like Agenda 21, you're really not going to like the 2030 Agenda. It's being introduced in 2015, and it's called Agenda 21 on steroids. Next month, the United Nations is going to launch the 2030 Agenda at a major conference that's going to be held from September 25th to the 27th in New York City. The Pope is actually going to travel to New York to deliver an address which will kick off this conference. Unlike Agenda 21, which primarily focuses on the environment, the 2030 Agenda is truly a template for governing the entire planet. In addition to addressing climate change, it also sets ambitious goals for areas such as economics, health, energy, education, agriculture, gender equality, And a whole host of other issues, this global initiative, is being billed as a new universal agenda for humanity. Now, if you're anything like me, alarm bells are starting to go off in your head right now. The new agenda is solidly rooted in Agenda 21. This was originally adopted by the United Nations back in 1992. Well, at the same time... Agenda 21 has been modified and amended numerous times. They've made noteworthy changes in 97, in 2002, and in 2012. But now, the UN's Sustainable Development Program is being given an entirely new name. And the scope of this agenda is being broadened dramatically. Here is what the official United Nations website says about it. And I quote, The United Nations is now in the process of defining sustainable development goals as part of a new sustainable development agenda that must finish the job and leave no one behind. This agenda, to be launched at the Sustainable Development Summit in September of 2015, is currently being discussed at the UN General Assembly where member states and civil societies are making contributions to the agenda. Just a few days ago, The core document of the 2030 Agenda was finalized. When what is in this document starts getting out, it's going to create a huge stir among Americans that are concerned about the ambitions of the globalists. Now this comes from the preamble of this document, and once again I quote, The agenda is a plan of action for people, planet, and prosperity. It also seeks to strengthen universal peace in a larger freedom. We recognize that eradicating poverty in all of its forms and dimensions, including extreme poverty, is the greatest global challenge and an indispensable requirement for sustainable development. All countries and all stakeholders acting in collaborative partnership will implement this plan. We are resolved to free the human race from the tyranny of poverty and want to secure our planet. We are determined to take the bold and transformative steps which are urgently needed to shift the world into a sustainable and resilient path. As we embark on this collective journey, we pledge that no one will be left behind. The 17 Sustainable Development Goals and 169 Targets which are announced today demonstrate the scale and ambition of this new Universal Agenda. They seek to build on the Millennium Development Goals and complete what these did not achieve. They seek to realize the human rights of all and to achieve gender equality and the empowerment of all women and girls. They are integrated and indivisible and balanced the three dimensions of sustainable development, the economy, social and environmental. And as you can see, this is not just a plan to fight climate change. This is literally a blueprint for transforming global society. The core of this plan is a set of 17 specific goals. And I'm going to tell you what these goals are. 1. End poverty and all of its forms everywhere. 2. End hunger, achieve food security and improve nutrition and promote sustainable agriculture. 3. And ensure healthy lives and promote well-being for all ages. Four, to ensure inclusive and equitable quality education and promote lifelong learning opportunities for all. Five, achieve gender equality and empower all women and girls. Six, to ensure availability and sustainable management of water and sanitation for all. Seven, to ensure access to affordable, reliable, sustainable, and modern energy for all. Number eight, to promote sustained inclusive and sustainable economic growth, full and productive employment and decent work for all. Nine, to build resilient infrastructure, to promote inclusive and sustainable industrialization and foster innovation. Ten, to reduce inequality within and among countries. Eleven, make cities and human settlements inclusive, safe, resilient and sustainable. Twelve, to ensure sustainable consumption and production patterns. Thirteen, to take urgent action to combat climate change and its impacts. Fourteen, and sustainability, use the oceans, seas, and marine sources for sustainable development. Fifteen is to protect, restore, and promote sustainable use of terrestrial ecosystems and halt and reverse land degradation and halt biodiversity loss. That's a mouthful 16 to promote peaceful and inclusive society for sustainable development provide access to justice for all and build effective accountable and exclusive institutions on all levels 17 is to strengthen the means of implementation and revitalize the global partnership for sustainable development now many of those sound very good after all who wouldn't want to end poverty and halt biodiversity loss. But as you read through that list, ask yourself, what form of human activity would be excluded from it? Personally, I have a hard time coming up with much of anything. As I described earlier, the globalists want to use sustainable development as an excuse to micromanage the lives of every man, woman, and child on the entire globe. We're told that individual liberty and freedom are dangerous because when everyone just runs around doing whatever they want, it's bad for the planet. For example, one of the goals of the sustainable development crowd is to push the population into giant mega cities and to allow nature to recapture much of what has already been settled by humanity. Eventually, the globalists want to fundamentally transform virtually everything about our society. This includes our economy, our government, our entertainment, our social interactions, our families, and even our religious beliefs. So don't be fooled by all of this nice language. This new universal agenda is far, far more dangerous than Agenda 21 ever was. And it's a giant step forward into a one-world system that's governed by bureaucratic control freaks. We will talk more about this in future programs. I'm going to take a short break here, but when I come back, I'm going to report again. The White House is holding federal funds hostage. I'll tell you how. A judge seals the file in a Somali Muslim suspect's murder trial. Why are they sealing the file? And there's a city that refuses to allow a man to pay a $25 parking ticket with 2,500 pennies. They tell him it's not legal tender. There's a Muslim asylum seeker who allegedly beheads a victim inside an Ikea. How does Ikea respond? They stop selling knives. And much more right after this short break. We'll be right back. You're listening to a global
0: pioneer in the new mainstream media. In Time News with W. Dean Shook. Your connection to the signs of the times. We have a control. We have a
1: control. We have a control.
2: GoDaddy offers everything you need to make a name for yourself on the web. From domain names and website builders to complete e-commerce solutions. We've earned our place as the world's number one accredited domain registrar by delivering world-class products at competitive prices and support them with industry-best services delivered 24-7, 365. We're proud to serve our customers from locations around the world. Sign up now at wdeanshook.com and get your domain name as low as $5.99 a year. Sign up now at wdeanshook.com. Com. Go, Daddy. Go, Daddy. Hi, folks. Have you noticed the federal government and police departments are using drones for everything? Drones are expensive. They're hard to fly. It can take up to a week just to learn to make a drone hover. Not anymore. There's a new generation of drones that are not only affordable, but very easy to fly. Now, you can have your own personal drone, anything from a Micro Mini that'll fit the palm of your hand, right up to a full-scale model, 10 inches in diameter like the model I have, the V949 Pro. comes with a 6-axis, 4-rotor blade, and an HD 2.4 camera mounted on the bottom. These drones are made of a space-age polar. They're durable, and don't worry about crashing your drone. Replacement blades for this drone from the website are only $1.80 for a pack of four. That's right, I said $1.80 for a pack of four replacement blades. You can also get an extra long life battery. This battery allows you up to a half hour of fly time with a maximum speed of 40 miles an hour. Have your own personal drone and you can get all of this for under $70. If you go to the website wdeanshook.com and click on the banner on the webpage, you can get from 7 to 22% off your personal drone. It's shipped as a kit can be up and flying your own personal drone with an hd camera within a half hour come to the webpage page click on that banner and get your discount today wdeanshook.com do you think the media is biased maybe they're leaving something out or there's something they're not telling you now you have a source for the truth in the news w. Dean Shook. end time news your connection to the Signs of the Times.
1: You know, it seems these days that not a single one of us steps on a train, boards an airplane, attends a concert or a sporting event and doesn't have at least a fleeting concern that terror could strike. The reality of the post 9-11 world is that we are at war and we are a target. We all live with some level of uncertainty and fear. It's easy to lose sight of an issue that defines our generation, the need to stop terrorism in our time. Our president apologizes for America, and he's made it clear that the era of American exceptionalism is over. He campaigned on closing Guantanamo and trying terrorists in civilian court. On his second day in office, he stopped enhanced interrogation and he closed down the black sites. You know, where we got the intel that ultimately led us to Bin Laden. He has all but abandoned Israel despite the fact that Iran is the world's leading sponsor of terror, that openly calls for the annihilation of Israel. All while Iran develops a nuclear bomb that they recently announced could be delivered to U.S. targets via missiles developed during Obama's presidency while he does nothing but talk. The question for every American is simply, are we safer? Arewesafer.com provides you with the facts and the potential consequences of these failed policies so that you can make informed decisions. I mean, let's face it. If things don't change, everything will change. And we all hope
2: that day never comes. If you for allowing me that break. Once again, the White House is holding federal funds hostage if the states don't comply with what they want. Obama administration threatens states attempting to defund Planned Parenthood. Now listen to the hypocrisy in this. The Obama administration is threatening states attempting to defund Planned Parenthood, those trying to stop the flow of their Medicaid funds to the abortion provider, with potential violations of federal law and ultimately the cutting off of Medicaid funds to those states. Following the release of investigative videos exposing Planned Parenthood's practice and the harvesting of the body parts of aborted babies for potential sale to biomedical companies, Alabama... Louisiana, New Hampshire, have canceled their Medicaid contracts with Planned Parenthood, this according to CNSN News. Other states are in the process of considering similar action. Well, in Wisconsin, for example, State Representative Andre Jack is attempting to address all the layers of government funding of Planned Parenthood that are under control of his state in several pieces of legislation. While Governor Scott Walker and the state legislature have redirected about $1 million annually from Planned Parenthood to a Women's Health Block grant, the abortion giant's affiliate in Wisconsin still receives fifteen and sixteen million dollars in taxpayer money annually mainly through medicare and title x family planning fund while well, the centers for medicaid and medicare services which is part of the department of health and human services has stepped in however reports the wall street journal to warn these states that they may be in violation of federal law because by blocking Planned Parenthood's reception of Medicare benefits, it says women could lose access to essential preventive care, such as cancer prevention screenings. Well, in an HHS guidance document from 2011, the Obama administration said states are not allowed to exclude providers from Medicare solely on the basis of the types of services they offer. According to the WSJ report, Should the states continue to block Medicaid funding to Planned Parenthood, they can request a hearing to settle the matter. However, should the conflict continue, CMS could cut Medicaid funds to that state. The Obama administration threatened to cut off funding several years ago from Texas when former Governor Rick Perry redirected federal Title X funds to family planning centers in his state that are not affiliated with Planned Parenthood and other abortion providers. When Perry prohibited funding for low-income women's health centers to go to Planned Parenthood, the Obama administration argued the action was a violation of federal law and threatened to cut off Medicaid funding. While undaunted, Perry decided to fund the low-income women's health program completely with his state's own money. Now, President Obama is known champion of Planned Parenthood, the nation's largest abortion provider. In April of 2013, he was the first sitting president to deliver an address to Planned Parenthood, which was founded by eugenist and racist Margaret Sanger. He promised to stand with the organization against what he described as efforts to turn back the clock to policies more suited in the 1950s than the 21st century after praising the organization for its 100-year existence. Obama told Planned Parenthood, God bless you for killing these unborn babies. Well, and how does it work that he's after somebody for violating federal law, but he lets the sanctuary cities, which are also violating federal law, go uncontested? Not sure how that works. Well, and here's another case of the government dictating to us what's good and what's not. There's a judge that has sealed a file in a Somali Muslim's murder trial. Authorities in Portland, Maine, have arrested three Somali American men in connection with the brutal killing of a man inside his apartment, then moved quickly to seal the case from public view. Police arrested Abil Teshom, 23, Mohammed Mohammed, 36, and Osman Shaikh, 31 on Thursday. All three are charged with the murder of a 49-year-old health care worker, Freddie Akoa. Police have provided almost no information on the killing, not the case of the death, not the cause of the death, not the type of weapon used, or any possible motive for the killing. They even refuse to release prison mugshots of the suspects. The Associated Press and local TV stations failed to identify the three suspects by their country of origin or race. Akoa was found dead in his apartment at 457 Cumberland Avenue on Tuesday, and it was revealed at a court hearing Friday that he had been dead since Sunday. He lived alone and, according to his liken page, worked as a hospital and health care professional in the Portland area. Police said all three suspects were arrested on unrelated charges and placed in custody Wednesday and Thursday when they were charged with Akoa's murder. Osman Sheik, 31 of Maine, is one of the three suspects charged with the murder. WND found a mugshot of a man named Osman Sheik on an online police mugshot site that matches the age and place of residence of the Osman Sheik who was arrested. Akoa was found dead about 12.15 p.m. Tuesday by an apartment manager after his mother called police and requested a check on his well-being. Police Chief Michael Sachik, he said the killing wasn't random in nature, indicating the alleged killers knew their victim. A U.S. State Department, in cooperation with the United Nations High Commission for Refugees, has sent 1,379 Somali refugees to Maine since 2002, 1,010 of them going to Portland. Now, according to the State Department Refugee Database, records prior to 2002 are not kept online. But the UN has been sending Somali refugees to the United States since early 1990s with the full support of the U.S. Congress despite the fact that hundreds of them have been turned out to be jihadis or criminals. Somalis has the worst records. Countless Somalis arrested in America have been investigated, arrested and convicted of violent crimes and terrorism related charges. More than 50 have left the US to join the ranks of ISIS and al-Shabaab and al-Qaeda and the FBI has confirmed that. Yet the Obama administration with the full support of Congress continues to infuse American cities with a steady stream of Sunni Muslim refugees from Somalia. They arrive in the U.S. at a rate of 7,000 to 10,000 a year at about six to 800 a month. According to records obtained by WND through a search of State Department database, they get resettled in more than 190 cities and towns, And many sent to the greater Minneapolis-St. Paul area of Minnesota, Columbus, Ohio, Portland, Maine, San Diego, California, Fargo, South Dakota, Wichita, Kansas, Boise and Twin Falls, Idaho, Amarillo, Texas, and Seattle, Washington, among other cities. WND has reported on numerous other criminals and terrorist elements who entered the country legally through the refugee resettlement program including one case where a refugee from the West African country of Togo was in the country only nine days before raping a woman in Virginia. Now, has there ever been a better case for the conventions of states? Article 5. Well, and here's a story about somebody who was told that their pennies are not legal tender. Well, the city refused to allow a man to pay his $25 parking ticket with pennies. Since when are pennies and nickels not a form of legal tender in this country? Our Fed fiat money is still money. We aren't a fully cashless society yet. Justin Green, a Pennsylvanian who attempted to protest what he felt was an unfair $25 parking ticket by paying for it with 2,500 pennies in Chambersburg, was told he couldn't because federal law says the coins aren't legal tender. Well, Green reportedly got the ticket for parking on the wrong side of the street for 10 minutes when he went back to a job site to pick up some tools he left behind to protest what he felt was an unfair situation. Green showed up to pay his fine with thousands of pennies, only to be told that federal law says pennies and nickels are not legal tender for transactions over 25 cents. Oh wait, make that a repealed federal law from 50 years ago. The town official who told Green this was 100% wrong. The idea of coin not being legal tender in this country was long ago made irrelevant when the Coinage Act of 1965 passed. Regulations specifically that all U.S. coins, like federal notes, are legal tender for all debts, public charges, taxes, and dues. Well, regardless of whether or not Green deserves the equivalent of extortion for how he parked his ten minutes for that day, during which he claimed he did not inconvenience anyone anyway, is beside the point. According to Reuters, Chambersburg Borough Managed Jeffrey Stonehill was forced to issue a press release admitting that they were wrong about the federal law and would have to accept change as payment in the future. Chamberberg is considering putting in a coin counting machine, but tormenting a borough cashier rather than pleading not guilty to the offense in a court of law, which is his right, is not an appropriate protest, in my opinion, said Stonehill in a press release. Well, that isn't really any of Mr. Stonehill's business how people pay for their tickets as long as it's legal tender for debts, dues, and taxes, now is it? I think that's a form of protest that would put a smile on my face. Well, the truth revolt is reporting that Sweden is protecting a Muslim asylum seeker after he allegedly beheads a victim inside IKEA. And how does IKEA respond? They just stop selling knives. Well, it was a horrific scene in IKEA's largest superstore in Sweden this week as a mother and son were both stabbed and killed in the kitchenware section of the store by an asylum seeker who was soon to be deported. What is known is that a 36-year-old Northeast African man entered the IKEA in Sweden, grabbed a kitchen knife from a store shelf, and killed a 55-year-old woman and her 28-year-old son. The man is described as an asylum seeker and had met the day before with immigration officials who issued him a deportation order. After the killing, the suspect stabbed himself in the stomach, but he survived additional reports are surfacing that allege that one of the victims was beheaded yet police has not yet confirmed or stated any political or religious motivations behind these murders those reports also suggest that customers heard the killer shout "Allah akbar during the attack the ikea store has also responded by ceasing the sale of kitchen knives ikea told the media that the store will temporarily halt the sale of kitchen knives That should match well with Ikea's general policy of being a gun-free zone. And staying on this same subject, according to Forbes, gun and ammo tax aims at reducing violence in Seattle. Now, if you're a gun owner or hoping to be in the city of Seattle, it's going to cost you. Seattle City Council has, has approved a new tax on gun and ammo sales under the law. Referred to as the gun violence tax, Gun and ammo sales in the city are subject to a $25 per firearm sale and a five cent for every round of ammunition they sell and two cents for every round of 22 caliber ammunition and smaller Seattle City Budget Office estimates that gun violence tax will raise between $300,000 and $500,000 per year which will be revenue raised under the tax will be earmarked for violence prevention Now, those who support the tax believe that it could deter potential criminals from buying a gun that would be used to commit a crime. Opponents of the tax say that it unfairly penalizes lower-income individuals by making it more expensive to legally acquire a gun. Well, City Council President Tim Burgess says the new law is intended to improve gun safety. Well, every day the general public pays this enormous cost of gun violence. He says gun violence is a public health crisis in our city and our nation. City governments can and must pursue innovative gun safety measures that save lives and save money. And it has no other areas of policy. Seattle can lead the way in local solutions. Well, a gun violence tax will give us revenue to provide broad-based benefits through research and prevention programs. They said it wouldn't be the only such tax in the country. A similar tax in Cook County, Illinois, was adopted after much controversy in 2012. The hope was that it would slow gun violence. However, according to reports in the Chicago Tribune, gun violence continues to escalate in the city of Chicago with the number of persons shot in 2015 so far on pace to top those shot in 2014. So here's what the White House says about gun violence. They want to require background checks for all gun sales okay strengthen the background check system for gun sales to pass new stronger bans on assault weapons to limit ammunition magazines to 10 rounds to finish the job of getting armor-piercing bullets off the streets to give law enforcement additional tools to prevent and prosecute gun crime in the freeze on gun violence research and make our schools safer with a new source officer and counselors better emergency response plans and more nurturing school climates well let me ask you this if your child was bleeding from the ears and you took him to the emergency room and the doctor in the emergency room put cotton in his ear to stop the blood from coming out of his ears and said there you go go ahead and go home would you be happy with that well if you said no I'd say why not You went in to have the bleeding stopped and he did it by putting cotton in his ears. Well, the reason you're not going to be satisfied, the reason no reasonable person would be satisfied with that is because he didn't fix the problem, only the symptom. Well, all of these things, banning assault weapons, ammunition rounds, all of these things are treating the symptoms, not the source. If somebody wants to kill somebody and they run them down with the car, are you going to ban cars? If they hit them with baseball bats, are you going to ban baseball bats? They're treating the symptom, not the cause. But somehow these people just don't seem to get it. Well, let's move on from that. You know, all presidents come to the end of their presidency. They like to build themselves a nice library. Presidents have been doing this for a long time. Well, Obama seeks $1 billion for a post-presidency work fundraising for a library. President Obama's associates on the heels of a recent intimate White House dinner hosted by his wife and him for 13 guests to decide the post-presidency future. They came to this startling conclusion. The executive couple would need at least $1 billion to bring their library and foundation dreams to fruition. Advisors who have taken a look at the president's post-White House days are attempting to map a future for him and his family I've already talked about fundraising strategies to come up with a minimum of $800 million, according to the New York Times, but the necessary funding may actually hit the $1 billion mark. If so, the amount would be double what former President George W. Bush raised for his own presidential library and accompanying programs. Reportedly, Obama's tentative post-White House plans call for an endowment of as much as $1 billion, to create a foundation with worldwide influence as well as a fund of high-tech digital library in Chicago. According to Marty Nesbitt, where we'll end up? We don't know yet. One of the Obama's longtime Chicago friends who's helping plan the creation of the library and global foundation said money is the main issue. The New York Times reported Obama only received about 5.4 million for his post-presidency plans from a dozen different donors, including one from Michael Sachs, a Chicago businessman, for the amount of six hundred and sixty six thousand six hundred and sixty six dollars. That's six 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 point six six six. But once Obama leaves office, the real fundraising will begin in earnest, AID said. Among the attendees of his recent White House dinner were Lucond billionaire Reed Hoffman, novelist Tony Morrison, hedge fund manager Mark Larcy, venture capitalist John Doerr, writer Malcolm Goldwell, Sun Microsystems co-founder and actress Eva Longoria. And the New York Times reported nobody was asked outright for donation to his library, but critics say the suggestion was implied because the main topic of conversation was Obama's future, which we know is... What's really most important, right? Well, and I've got another story here. This is a exclusive by Leo Homan of WND. There is a growing chorus across the U.S. that says no more refugees. Obama continues to plop thousands of Muslims here. This is an exclusive. The pushback started earlier this year in South Carolina, then spread to Minnesota, Idaho, and now North Dakota. Michigan and Ohio are also organizing against what local residents say is a sinister and sneaky federal program that almost never gets serious coverage from local media. It's the U.S. State Department Refugee Resettlement Program, which has been humming along and autopilot since Congress passed the Refugee Act of 1980, signed by President Jimmy Carter since that time. More than three million refugees from third world countries have been permanently resettled in more than 190 American cities and towns. On the rare occasion, when the program attracts national media coverage, it almost always gets spun in a positive light, citing emotional, sometimes tear-jerking stories of refugees rescued from violence in their homeland, but activists say there's another side of the refugee program that isn't being told. And no longer satisfied with pat answers, residents in several states are starting to ask the hard questions. They're showing up at meetings. They're starting blogs and email lists. They're digging up information by bypassing local media to inform their friends and neighbors of what's really going on with this refugee movement. In conservative Twin Falls, Idaho, for instance, A group of a 100 activists are going door-to-door to inform their neighbors about this refugee program and how it works. Organizer Rick Martin says most of the people are surprised to find out the United Nation picks most of the refugees destined for America. That the Catholic Church, the Lutheran and Episcopal churches, along with evangelical and Jewish groups, get paid by the federal government to resettle refugees in the U.S., And when we mention that the U.N. is involved, most of them don't believe it. So we have to show them the articles, according to Martin. The U.N. connection could explain why so many Muslim refugees are coming to the U.S. from jihadist hotbeds like Syria and Somalia, while persecuted Christians in Syria, Iraq, and Egypt have a hard time getting within sight of the Statue of Liberty. It may also explain why Muslim countries with plenty of open land, such as Saudi Arabia, aren't taking in more of the Sunni refugees being created by these Islamist-inspired civil strife in Syria, Iraq, Yemen, and Somalia. Hundreds of residents in Fargo and Cass County, North Dakota, are the latest to get active. More than 2,500 have signed an online petition titled the Lutheran Society Services in Fargo at change.org. The LSS, a subsidiary of Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service, one of the nine resettlement agencies, has been funneling UN-selected refugees into the Midwest states like the Dakotas and Minnesota for years. Since 2002, the small cities of Fargo and West Fargo have received 3,645 refugees from more than two dozen third world countries, including 1,397 refugees from Bahrain, 670 from Somalia, 567 from Iraq, 209 from Liberia, 196 from the Congo, and the balance from Afghanistan, Russia, Cambodia, Chad, Colombia, Ethiopia, Rwanda, Sierra Leone, the Sudan, and these are not Christians. These are predominantly Muslims. They're not letting Christians into the country looking for asylum. On Thursday of last week, Lutheran Social Services announced it has rejected the online petitioner's plea, saying it would continue to resettle refugees from around the world in Fargo, demonstrating once again that the agency works for the federal government and the United Nations, not the people of Fargo or North Dakota. At that point, the petition had 450 signers. By Saturday afternoon, it was up to 2,370 signatures, and by Sunday afternoon, it had already surpassed 2,500. Overall, the United Nations has sent nearly 500,000 refugees directly from third world countries to more than 190 cities and towns across the U.S. since Obama took office. In one country where the U.S. would have used a refugee program to rescue persecuted Christians in Syria, it has failed to do it. Over the past year more than 1,150 refugees have entered the US from Syria with only a small amount, a small handful, 40 Christians among them, while 95 percent have been Muslims according to a search of federal government database. The State Department assures those who ask questions about security refugees the most highly vetted of all US immigrants, but the FBI which is responsible for doing the vetting, refutes that notion. House Homeland Security Chairman Michael McCull, Republican from Texas, called them on that very deception. Please listen to this clip.
0: Uh, Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I want to thank uh, you uh, for holding this important hearing. Uh, We've been sounding the alarm for months on this issue uh, and for good reason. Uh, America has a proud tradition of welcoming uh, refugees and immigrants but we need to make sure that extremists do not exploit this pathway to our country, especially from terrorist safe havens. Last year, the administration announced plans to surge the admission of Syrian refugees into the United States, including plans to resettle roughly 2,000 of them this year and thousands more next year. This is concerning for two reasons. First, terrorists have made it known that they want to manipulate refugee programs to sneak operatives into the West. Second, top national security officials have admitted that intelligence gaps in Syria will make it hard to weed them out of refugee pools. Testifying before our committee in February, the director of National Counterterrorism Center called these refugees a population of concern, giving the expansive presence of ISIS and al-Qaeda in Syria. At the same hearing, the FBI's assistant director, Michael Steinbach, for counterterrorism argued that identifying potential operatives will be difficult because, quote, our databases won't have the information we need, end of quote. Simply put, we cannot screen applicants confidentially if we don't have good intelligence on the ground. We can't vet them properly if we don't have the proper databases. In light of these concerns, I sent a series of letters to the administration this year highlighting the risk of accelerating Syrian refugee admissions and requesting greater assurances regarding the screening process. The responses were inadequate, and the administration was vague in explaining how the screening process would overcome the intelligence gaps. I just wrote the President two weeks ago, again asking for answers and a classified briefing for members of this committee. We are still waiting for a serious response. I do not take this issue lightly. Terrorists are constantly probing our defenses and would not hesitate to exploit a program meant to save innocent people fleeing from violence for the purpose of attacking our homeland. I remind you that members of Al-Qaeda in Iraq, the predecessor to ISIS, have already managed to sneak into our country through refugee settlement programs. Two of these these terrorists, arrested in 2009, were responsible for killing four Pennsylvania National Guard soldiers in Iraq. Yet they were gained entry and resettled in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And that was when we had far better intelligence on the ground in Iraq to vet refugees, where in Syria, we are dark. The situation today in Syria is even more chaotic, making it difficult to get the biometric biographic, and other information needed to ensure individuals being admitted into our country do not intend to do our people harm. Since its founding, America has welcomed refugees from conflict zones in the darkest corners of the globe. We will not abandon that tradition. It embodies the compassion of our people and represents our deepest values. But we must also not abandon our vigilance, and we cannot be naive. In Syria, we are witnessing the largest convergence of Islamist terrorists in world history. And some of these fanatics want to turn our refugee programs into a Trojan horse to carry out attacks here at home. We cannot allow that to happen. And I hope the White House will do more to convince Congress and the American people that it is moving forward cautiously, appropriately, but most importantly, with the security of the American people as a priority if it does not we may not we may need to consider taking additional steps here on capitol hill and with that mr chairman i yield back
2: now wnd has reported numerous cases of criminal and terrorist activities among these refugees over the past year most recently Reporting on case Friday were three Somali Americans believed to be refugees or children of refugees that were arrested in Portland for that murder of the local guy. In another case, a refugee from Togo was in the U.S. only nine days before he raped a woman in Virginia, like I just reported. In April, six young Somali men from refugee families in Minnesota were arrested and charged with repeatedly trying to board flights to Turkey, where they planned to cross the border and join ISIS in Syria. And these cases are just the latest in a string of Somali refugees involved in terrorist activities. And it led U.S. Attorney Andrew Luger to admit at a press conference, we have a terror recruitment problem in Minnesota. On January 30th, WND reported the FBI announced its newest most wanted terrorist, was a Somali refugee working as a cab driver in Virginia who was recruiting for al-Shabaab and al Qaeda. He reportedly left the country for Somalia, but has dual citizenship and could return to the U.S. any time. These are just a few of the cases involved of bad apples who got to American shores as either refugees or were born in the United States, children of refugees. There are dozens more of these cases, including one refugee from Uzbekistan who was convicted in Idaho last week of planning attacks against U.S. military installation. And thank you for allowing me to bring you the truth in the news. And don't forget, you can download the Endtime News Radio app for your iPhone or your Android, available at Google Play or at the App Store on iTunes. And if you don't want to go looking for it, you can always visit the webpage at wdeanshook.com where you'll find a link for the in-time news app right on the webpage. And as usual, when the dust settles and the smoke clears, I'll be back with more truth in the news. Thank you. You can get these full stories and more at wdeanshook.com. That's wdeanshook.com.